Have you ever prayed for a miracle? Have you ever gotten on your knees and begged God to heal you? Maybe to get you out of a situation? Maybe out of a relationship that you knew was just completely messed up? Has God ever answered you? Has God ever given you a miracle? How did you respond? Have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you ever gotten mad at God because He did not answer you the way you would want Him to? How did you respond in that situation? You know, I wish I could stand here and tell you that everything went well for Zach. But the reality of of life is that just a couple of short months later, Zach got to meet Jesus. And even with his incredible faith, and I don't know if you caught it, he said what? If God chooses to heal me, then God is good. And if he doesn't, God is good also. God cannot give me a bad gift to God be the glory. And even with his amazing faith, God chose not to heal him. What do we do when God decides not to heal us? I mean, you know, we love to read the, the, the Bible and see the miracles. And the truth is, for every miracle that is recorded in the Bible, for every single person that is healed, there's probably hundreds and hundreds of them who never got to experience it. So how do we respond? I mean, even in, in a room like ours, you know, there's many people that have gone on vacation. You know, we're not a full Uh, sanctuary this morning, but the truth is for every person in here that can raise their hands and say, yes, God has done a miracle in my life, there are probably 10 others who can say, I'm still waiting on God to do something miraculous in my life. So how do we respond? Now, uh, we've been in the series of uh, superheroes, you know, heroes can't save you. And I, don't, I appreciate, I want to say thank you for Pastor Scott. Uh, I'm not Scott, by the way. Uh, for those of you who are not here, uh, Scott is not quite as, and, he, and he'll probably go a lot longer. So we're not going to, yeah, I'm going to pay for that one later. That's okay. That's all right. Um, see, that's why I had to raise this. Anyway, um, I appreciate the, uh, the, the fact that, that he gave me this honor to be able to stand in front of you this morning. And I hope that God will speak uh, to us through me this morning. But we've been looking at this, this idea of, of heroes. And the reason why I named my, uh, my message this morning, God is not a superhero, uh, don't, don't kick me out, okay? I'm not a heretic, trust me, um, it'll all make sense. But we have this, this idea that, that we want God to just kind of come to every beck and call whenever we pray, we want Him to answer. We want Him to be a superhero because don't we love superhero movies, right? Why do we love them? Because there's always a hero, and there's always a problem, and the hero comes in and fixes it, and everything's great, right? God's not that. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus does save us, okay? So just in case, some some of you will record this and put like a little clip on YouTube where I said that God is not a superhero. Jesus does save us. But a lot of times, God will not save us in the way that we expect Him to. He's not a superhero in that sense of just, He's just going to do it. And, and I've heard this said, and, and probably you have too. How many of you, especially if you're going through a hard time, somebody, you know, well-meaning will tell you, well, now God is not going to let anything that's beyond your power to come on you, right? Anybody ever hear that? That is a lie from the pits of hell. It is. Because most definitely God will put you in situations that you cannot handle so that you will have nobody but him to rely on. Think about this. Jesus, um, we love the story of Jesus walking on the water, right? 
So there's these the disciples, some of them are fishermen, they know what to do. A storm comes through, they're in the middle of the, the boat, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night. And Jesus does what? Shows up and starts walking on the water. And Peter's like, hey, Jesus, yay, Jesus, can I walk too? And he starts walking and they start singing and Jesus saves him. And we love that story, don't we? But so many of us completely miss out on the most important verse in that entire passage. Where it says that Jesus immediately made the disciples get into the boat. Jesus put them in that situation, knowing what was going to happen. And if you're here and you think that, that, that you feel like maybe God has forgotten about you and, and nobody is around you and nobody's with you, God may have you exactly where he wants you to be. Because it's in the middle of you being with him alone that he's going to do the greatest things in your life. The wind was against them, is what the passage says. And some of us, so many times, we just feel like the wind is against us in our relationships with, with our kids. I mean, admit it, this is church time. How many of you, you know, you got here and everything smiles, but, you know, in the van before you got here, you, know, you were ready to just sell your kids on eBay, right? Right? Because things happen. So how do we respond when, when God does not show up in the way that we want him to? I want us to look at uh, three different um, uh, points this morning. And before we get there, uh, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 8, uh, the words will be on the screen. Uh, there's Bibles in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, snag one of the black ones, take it home. We're not going to come after you. You're not stealing. We're giving it to you. So you don't have to come back next Sunday and repent. I mean, please come back, but uh, that's our gift to you. Mark chapter 8, starting verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and they being Jesus and the disciples. And some people brought to him, to Jesus, a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, yes, that's gross, I know, hang with me, and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Number one, the first lesson that I want us to learn this morning is that when God works in our situations, he takes us through a removal process. How many of you were here two weeks ago when Pastor Scott started this, this series? Audience participation? There you go. Um, yeah, hands up. Okay. Um, if you don't remember what he talked about, just act like you do so that he will feel good, you know, because a lot of times, you know, we prepare and you ask people later on, they don't remember. But two weeks ago, we talked about Abram, Abram and Sarai. God shows up to this guy, to Abram, and he told him what? He said, Abram, pack up what you have, what you own, and just go. All right, Jesus, where am I going? Oh, God, where am I going? I'll tell you. Okay, how will I know if we're there? I will be there when we'll be there. Some of you parents catch the reference, right? You've had to say that to your kids once or twice before. We'll get there when we'll get there. And God is saying, Abram and Sarai through this removal process. And there's a couple of aspects that I believe God is taking us through. Number one is the removal of people. Abram and Sarai had to leave the people that they knew behind. Um, do you remember the story of Moses? When he took the Israelites through the desert, God had to remove the, an entire generation through this process because of their, their disobedience. Even Jesus at some point, he told his disciples, he said, listen, before the Holy Spirit can come to you, I must be removed from you. I must go so that he would come. And of course, the disciples did not appreciate that. And we fight 
on this. Check out verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. This guy did not show up. He did not come to Jesus on his own. His friends who had the faith in, in Jesus to heal him brought him to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I know that you trust these guys. I know that these are your friends. Let's get away from it all. And it will be just me and you outside of the village. Have you ever considered that maybe the reason why God is removing people from your life is not because he's mean, but because he needs you to be alone with him? Because he knows that if you continue in certain relationships, God cannot work in your life as he's expecting to. We need to go through this removal process. I mean, literally, the, um, you know, Jesus required this guy to have a blind trust. This guy had no idea who Jesus was. And Jesus said, listen, just go with me. Let's leave these men behind. I love the fact that the Luke records that Jesus came to heal the, the blind man because that's exactly what the prophet said, right? Jesus would be the Messiah who would do what? Heal the blind man. Now, there's a co- another aspect of this removal process that I want us to understand. God sometimes not only removes people from our lives, but he removes possessions. We like our stuff, don't we? We like our things. Now, in this passage, it, it is not clearly spelled out, but if, if any of you have ever read your Bible, you know that there's other instances in which uh, we have blind people being healed. Chances are this guy probably had very few possessions. Chances are he may have had like a blanket or a cloak that he would sit on to beg for people to come through. You know, he may have had. So this guy had very little in his possession. And Jesus says, leave all that behind as well. Let's go, just me and you. If you're going through a dry time right now and you feel like God has abandoned you, and maybe things aren't quite working the way you would hope them to, know that you may just be exactly in the middle of his will, exactly where he wants you to do. Second, second lesson that I want us to learn is this. When God works in our situations, he requires resilience from us. Verses 23 through 25. And he took the blind man by his hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up, blind man, and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. I love this process of of the way Jesus heals um, this man. Uh, Jesus didn't heal him completely. And not, you know, if he, again, if you know anything about the Bible, you'd, you will read so many times where Jesus will come in or somebody will come to him and Jesus will, would heal that person automatically. He will say a word. He will touch them. He will do something, some kind of display of, of this other person's uh, faith. But the truth is, God knows that a lot of times we will need this faith to kind of keep us going. Uh, audience participation part of our program. How many of you have been uh, walking with Jesus for more than one year? Raise your hands. Don't be shy. Right? Five years? Ten? Twenty? Thirty? Ooh, dropping off. Forty? Fifty? Anybody? Oh, yeah, there we go. Awesome. We've got a couple. Awesome. Let me ask you this. When you came to know Jesus, did you know everything completely? Do you know it now? Are you still learning? Is every day still a learning process? Is God still molding you into the image of his son? Is God still pushing and prodding on your faith so that it'll become stronger? 
It is a process that God is taking us through. And there's a couple of aspects of this, um, of this res resilience that I believe God uh, requires from us. Number one, he requires trust. Uh, verse 23, he took the man, the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Um, we must, we, we, we've got to learn that Jesus knows what he's doing. Uh, did you catch, of course you caught verse 23, uh, second part. You'll probably have this verse memorized by the time we we'll leave this morning because uh, we'll run through it a couple more times. It says, he led him by the, outside the village and when he had spit on his eyes, yeah, okay, I know that's gross. Especially today, you know, in our society, we're obsessed with what? Germs, right? Everybody, like, yeah, I, I bet you that probably 90% of you in here have some kind of little, you know, Germex or some kind of something, you know, hand sanitizer, right, that you're going to rub. And you read something like this and you go, what does that have to do with anything? Now, this guy may or may not have known this, but back in this day, people knew that saliva or spit has healing properties. How many of you have ever picked your finger by mistake or on purpose? And if you do it by mistake, what do you do? What's instinctively? What do you do? Stick it in your mouth, don't you? If you hit your, your, um, your finger with a hammer after you say the things that you need to repent of the next Sunday, what do you do instinctively? You stick it in your mouth, right? Because you know that it has this healing properties. And maybe this guy knew that. But even if he, even if he did or if, even if he didn't, he knew he had to trust Jesus that he was doing the right thing, even, even if it made no sense. Now, my brain works differently, and my wife is not in here. She was in here the first service, but um, if you've ever been around us for long enough, you will, you will have heard these things uh, come up. She usually says um, she's, not, she's not responsible for the words that come out of my mouth, and she's right because some things, you know, but just work with me here, okay? When I first read this passage, um, put yourself in the, in the shoes of this blind man, Right? Number one, you have no idea who this Jesus is. Your friends kind of drag you and, and tell you, hey, let's go and meet this Jesus guy because he can heal you. And you get there, and Jesus, instead of healing you, he says, all right, leave everyone that you know behind, leave everything that you know behind, and go with me. What did they talk about? I don't know. Was that like an awkward silence? You know, he's just kind of following behind Jesus, and I have no idea. What did they do when they got there? Did the guy just sit around and go, okay, right? Uh, it, is he still here? You know, Marco, Polo? I don't know. I have no idea. Is Jesus still around me? But, and, and again, just, just hang with me, right? And then you hear Jesus kind of like clearing his throat and, you know, kind of getting ready, and you're like, dude, you need a Zyrtec or a leg or something. You've got some sinus issues. And then you feel him spitting on you. What do you do? I mean, can you imagine it, being this guy, you have no idea who he is. And, I mean, that's just, that's just nasty. And so many of us stop trusting God whenever things go not according to our plan. Whenever God does something that doesn't quite make sense to us. Whenever Jesus does something that, you know, he'll come in. And here's the thing. As I said, Jesus saves us. And Jesus will come into our lives whenever we pray. But most of the time, I will tell you that Jesus will come in and he will disrupt and he will mess up your life more so than he will necessarily make things clean and simple as you would hope them to be. And we have to trust him. I tell my kids all, this, all the time, and, and um, you, know, you can ask them. And I've told them this even when they were little kids. Whenever I make a decision, I want you to simply trust me and obey me. Because I know the best for you. I don't necessarily want you to agree with it. I just need you to trust me. 
Because every single decision that both me and my wife make are done through two lenses. We love you and we want the best for you. <laughs> There's one that's like, yes, you've heard that before, right? Even if you don't agree with it, I want you to trust me. Now, the second thing, not just trust, but we need to trust in God's timing. This is the even more, uh, more tricky. Verse 23, again, he took him out, out of the village, spits in his eyes and says, hey, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. I mean, think about this. Our blind man could have just stopped after the first time that Jesus spit on his eyes, right? Well, for one, I mean, if that happens, you're like, okay, we're done, Jesus. This is kind of a weird process, right? But this guy came to Jesus, and he was completely what? Blind. It's not a trick question. He was completely blind. And Jesus helps him see. Not clearly, but he can see something. And many of us will do that. God starts working into our lives. We ask him to do something in, in our hearts. And he starts this healing process into, into, our, um, into our faith, into our life. And then we're like, okay, okay, God, we're good. This is not going exactly how I was hoping to. I think we're good. And we miss out on him. We miss out on God's best for us because we settle for just. Okay. The enemy of best is not the worst. The enemy of best is good. And so many of us are okay to settle for that good because we don't want God to continue working in our lives because maybe it hurts too much or maybe it's just not going the way we want it to. Now, how many of you love to be patient and wait on things that are on God? How many of you have smartphones? Okay. How many of you would be willing, and we're in church, so yes, you can't repent, but you know, don't lie in church. How many of you would be willing to admit that even this morning coming to church, you know, you stopped at a stoplight, and instead of just simply waiting there, phone comes out, you got to make sure that nobody's, you know, you're not that important. Yeah, there you go, at least one, right? We'll do it. You go to the grocery store, instead of just standing in line and just waiting, you do what? Oh, phone comes out, got to do something, you know. We don't like to wait. And God says, you've got to wait. And here's uh, first, uh, first Samuel chapter 13, a great passage uh, where Saul actually misses out on an amazing blessing that God had for his life because he could not wait on his timing. First uh, Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. He waited, he being Saul, waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, which if you know anything about this time, you knew that that was a big no-no. God said only the priest can do that. And Saul, because of his lack of patience, he goes ahead, goes ahead and, and does it. Um, as soon, verse 10, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Isn't that funny when you're talking to somebody about a friend that's not there behind their back? And you're talking, you're talking, and then all of a sudden your friend goes, you go, uh, he's behind me, isn't he? Right? That's exactly what happened. The, you know, Saul does something that he's not supposed to. Samuel shows up, of course. And Saul went to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, it's your fault, right? And that the Philistines had mustered in Michmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. So I have not sought and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. 
You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Anybody know who? David. There you go. Thank you. 1,000 points. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. Samuel says, hey, listen, Saul, you had such an incredible opportunity for God to bless you. And yet, because of your disobedience, because you did not wait, you will not see it. Do you remember the story of Moses when he leads the Israelites out of Egypt? And they finally get to the promised land. And Moses goes up on the mountaintop to pray, to meet with God. And the people wait. And after a few days, you know, they're like, well, I guess God killed him. He's not coming back. So let's make ourselves an idol so we can pray to him. And God says, oh, you have done foolishly. You have done foolishly. We need to trust in God's timing. So then, if, if these are things that we know we shouldn't be doing, what's the solution? How do we get to a point where we trust God completely? Number three, for God to work in our situations, we must reframe our thinking. Verse 26, and he... Jesus sent him, the blind man, to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. That, that's kind of an kind of interesting thing. If you've read the Bible long enough, you'll know that many times when, when Jesus performs a miracle, he does what? He tells the people what? Don't go tell anybody. And, and you're going, wait, that makes no sense. I mean, if you pray for God to do something amazing in your life, if God performs a miracle in your life, don't you want to tell everybody? Right? If you inherit a lot of money from somebody, well, that's probably a bad idea. But you know, if God performs something great in you, don't you want to tell everybody and say, hey, listen, check out what, what God has done. So then why is, why is Jesus so adamant about telling people, don't tell anybody? I think it's because of this, this one thing that, that I think we know, but we don't want to admit it. Jesus knows that just like many people in that day, we have a tendency to look for a sign. In verse 12, right before our text, chapter 8, verse 12, here's what um, Mark records. And he, being Jesus, sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. We want a miracle, right? Because we love those amazing moments when, when God shows up. We go on a mission trip. And we come back because God has done something incredible. And we're like, man, I wish we could just continue doing that. You know, the youth goes on a, they, they go on their beach trip, right? And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this. Man, that was so awesome. I wish, you know, we could do this every day. Because we love those amazing moments. And, and I think those moments should be celebrated but not necessarily expected. Because we love those amazing moments, but they are what they are. John, if you have your Bibles, go with me to John. Uh, John chapter 2. Here's what Jesus, uh, what John records. Um, John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, again, Jesus, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust him, himself to them because he knew what was in all, he knew all people. God doesn't want us to trust Him and believe in Him and have faith in Him because of something that He has performed. He wants us to trust Him 
maybe in spite of the things that he's doing. So then if we should not trust the signs that he does, what should we do? I think we should trust in his son. We love the idea of heaven, don't we? How many of you have maybe friends or family members who have passed on before you and you cannot wait to see them? How many of you have ever said, man, I want to go, I want to get to heaven because heaven will be, again, let's think, what kind of place is heaven? What's not in heaven? There will be no what? Sin. No what? Sorrow. Sadness. No death. No crying. Right? And we like this idea of heaven because of all the things that that we're going to get. But let me ask you this. How many of us go through life thinking of heaven, not because of the things that God is not going to allow there, but we're going to get to heaven because we'll get Jesus? If we could have heaven with all of those amazing things that we just listed, and yet Jesus not be present, would we still want heaven? And I'd say, unfortunately, for most of us, we like to think about the amazing things that God is going to do, and less about the Son. We think more about the gifts that He's given us instead of thinking about the giver. So what do we do? Think about the things that you're going through. And here's the thing. This is a, an interesting, and, and, and I'll have to be honest with you. And I know the, you know the guy that's supposed to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You have questions, ask Scott. He may have more answers than I do. So many times I go through life, honestly, begging God to take away the very things that he wants to use to work in my life. I don't want scars. I don't want to look back and go, yes, thank you for your faithfulness, God, but why did you have to take me through this? And so many times God wants to allow, and he will send us in places, in the dirty places and outside the village, in places that make no sense, because he knows that's where our faith will be tested and tried. But we don't want to go through that, and we beg him not to, because we don't want to deal with the scars. And yet think about this, when Jesus was resurrected, when he came back, And there was one disciple who said, I don't believe it until I see it. What did Jesus do? Did he try to explain to him the scriptures? Did God, I mean, did Jesus come in and go, hey, did you not read the Torah? Do you not know what the prophet said? What did he say? Hey, Thomas, do what? Come here and put your hands where? In my scars, in my hands. The scars that we bear are the very things, the very reminders of God's faithfulness to us, time in time, in time again. And if you're like me, and I'll be honest with you, I've been chewing on this passage for about six months. I, the, the first time I read it, um, it kind of messed me up because I, I like structure. Uh, I like to know things. I'm a um, plain, spontaneous person, if there's such a thing. Right? I like things to just be in order. And when I read this passage, it really hit me because I realized Jesus did not do things the way I was expecting him to do. Why did Jesus not heal this guy immediately? Now, as we've said, it may have been because this guy, you know, his faith maybe wasn't quite where it needed to be. Maybe it's because he wanted to try something different. I don't know. But I think that there's, there's something else. And now, this is, these are my thoughts. So unless you have my Bible, which has an extra chapter in there, uh, this is probably, for, um, you, you can probably find it in First Opinions 4-7. Um, that's that's my, my kind of book. I think the reason why Jesus did what he did, the way he did it, is because sometimes we have, you know, specific 
expectations. And sometimes God has to kind of mess up our expectations. You know, um, when you came here, uh, you, know, you got in your car and you expected it to do what? Start up, right? You came in here, you expected the, the room to be, you know, air-conditioned. Now, um, I haven't had a whole lot of uh, breakfast this morning, so do you mind if I eat me some banana? Anybody like? Um, you know, we, we expect to come in here and sit on, on uh, you know, these are nice cushy pews. Can I sit with you? Thanks. Can you scoot over just a tad? Thanks. Yeah. You want some banana? Yeah. Here. Here you go. That's my gift to you. We don't expect this, do we? This is weird, right? I mean, you can't, you come in, like if you come in and the, the preacher, now some of you came in probably this morning expecting Scott and you got the foreigner, right? Now, by the way, uh, this is great. Today is actually my, uh, my 11th year anniversary of being a U.S. citizen, so yay. Um, so unless I do something really, really stupid, they can't kick me out. Uh, I'm, I don't want to try that either. Um, but, you know, we have certain expectations, right? We come in and we want the guy up there to just talk and we listen and yay, and then we leave. And we don't like things to be unexpected. And then whenever God comes into our lives and he messes things up, we start to wonder why. How many of you have ever asked the question of why? God, why are you doing things the way you're doing? And I want to leave you with this quote from one of my favorite, favorite authors. I did it again. Um, Philippians, he said in, in, in his book on prayer, he says, we, we are concerned with how things turn out. God is more concerned with how we turn out. And we come in, and especially those of us who have been believers for a while, we kind of get comfortable and, 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 and you know, we have certain expectations of God because we've seen him work before. And you want, we want him to come in and just do things clean and, and, and fun and easy. And whenever God does not do things the way we want them to, we become disappointed with him, even though we should be disappointed with us because we don't have the trust that he's requiring of us. Um, I want you guys to listen to the next song. Um, we'll, uh, we'll let you guys um, get up and, and start playing it. Um, if you need to close your eyes, please close your eyes. If you want to just, just, I want you to pay attention to the words of this song. I want you to understand that God wants to reintroduce himself to you. Maybe we have forgotten who God is because we have gotten so used to certain expectations of him. And maybe we just need to rethink the way God works. If you're here for the first time and or maybe you've never made the decision to follow Christ, I invite you to really think about this, this God and what kind of God he is. What kind of things that, that he wants to do in our lives. So just uh, we'll let you guys take it from, from here. Things you can't 
Father, we thank you for this morning. And Father, I pray that you will forgive us for the times when we have had unrealistic expectations of you. Father, I thank you for the times when you have come to our rescue, not because of our faith, but in spite of it. Father, I pray that you will just help us realize just who, who you are, who truly you are. Thank you for Jesus. And Father, I pray that if there's somebody in here who does not know you personally, I pray that they, they will come to that point in their life where they will make you the Lord of their lives. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for loving us even when we were unlovable. And thank you for being with us even when our trust was nowhere to be found. Thank you for loving us in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray.